Hello, and welcome to the Physical Preparation Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Robertson, and I'll be joined on the line later today by Nick Grantham. Now, before we jump into this week's episode, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, the week that is upcoming, and just give you some insights as to what is new and noteworthy in my world. And before I do these, I always jot down a couple notes, things that are very top of mind, things that have been consuming in a good way a lot of my time lately. And the first thing I have on here, it's basically written in caps, underlined, italicized, any way I can make it stand out is the word coaching. There's really two points to this. Number one, just coaching at IFAST, getting back in the routine there, getting my coaches back in, my staff. We've had such an overwhelming amount of support from our members. They wanted to get back. I knew it and they are back in there and they are crushing it. So that's exciting to see. Also, just my own personal coaching. I think last week I probably tallied more coaching hours in a week than I have in the last five, maybe in the, no, not the last 10 years because I would have been on the floor bordering on full-time in 2010, but definitely in the last five years, the most coaching I've had because I had all my pro guys, I had Glenn going like six days last week, I had the pre-draft kid tie-in like five days last week, I got a guy in from Turkey who trained five days last week. I got my college group. G is in that group. I got my distance clients in from Lafayette, Philip, and Sandy. So, man, it was a rocking week. <laughs> By the time I got home on Friday, I was ready for it to be the weekend. And then I realized, oh, wait, I still coach people on Saturday this week. So, needless to say, uh, I was buzzing all of last week. It felt so bordering on euphoric, just getting to interact with these people. I've got just such an amazing group of clients and athletes that I work with. And the way I would always describe it is when you really enjoy coaching, in many ways, you're exhausted, right? Like physically, you are tired. You've been on your feet. You've been switched on. But there's this weird like reserve, like mentally, you're still buzzing, right? Like mentally, you still have more energy and more creativity, even though your body is physically tired from being on your feet and coaching all those hours. So, To me, I love it. I'm sure people are always wondering, like, when are you going to stop coaching and move to other stuff? And like, look, I always want to coach people to some level. I think it gives me street cred. I think it keeps me relevant. It keeps me grounded in the sense that, you know, if you're not training and coaching, you know, you lose a little bit of that. So anyway, very excited about the coaching that's going on right now. Excited for Glenn. He actually left today to head back to Philly and that guy's just put in so much high quality work in the last eight weeks. I feel like this is as locked in as he's ever been mentally, physically, mindset wise, like this dude's ready to go and just crush it. So, you know, hopefully, hopefully the NBA pulls this bubble concept off. It's still six weeks out. So I've got some reservations about if they can still get it all together, but I'm really excited for him to go out there and crush it. Uh, as I mentioned, Saturday, I did some coaching. I had you know the guy in from Turkey in, in the morning and then the Ari Father's Day boot camp. So I think I mentioned a while back, Glenn has, has started a foundation. He started hosting events. So we did a daddy-daughter dance. I believe it was right around Valentine's Day. So we had our first annual Father's Day boot camp at IFAST on Saturday. And I think it was a great success. Not massive numbers, right? We had 10 guys come in. But it's a free boot camp and, you know, just a way for fathers to take some time out for themselves, to take care of their bodies. We know if you're taking care of your body, a lot of other things in your life are a lot easier. So trying to just empower 
you know, other fathers and make sure that they're locked in as far as taking care of themselves so they can be better parents, they can be better spouses. So that was fun. That was exciting. And if you haven't checked out uh, the Ari Foundation, go to the Instagram. Uh, I believe it's like Ari.Foundation. But Glenn is doing some amazing work. And I know even long after the basketball thing is done, that's going to be something he's going to pour a lot of time and energy into. So really excited to see how that develops and grows in the coming years. Actual Father's Day was this weekend. So again, I know I did it last week, but shout out to all the fathers that listen to this show. Appreciate everything that you do. And ours was nice, a little on the low key side, which was, trust me, very welcome. Got up, went to one of our favorite spots for brunch, came home. One of the best parts of the day, got like a 20 or 30 minute nap. Just got to chill out and relax a little bit. And then Jess had bought us some phenomenal fillets. Bacon wrapped those babies, threw them on the grill, seared them at like 500 for about five, six minutes each, each side. So we had like these nice medium, medium rareish fillets last night. It was exquisite. So great Father's Day. Great just getting to hang out and spend time with the family. Had like 15, 20 minutes. I mean, I was around the kiddos all day, but had like 15, 20 minutes each where we could just kind of chill out and bond. And Kendall was helping me grill steaks and sitting on my lap. So it was good to just sit with her and hang out and did some stuff with Cade. So good day. Good day. Then the last thing I wanted to talk a little bit about, and I think it'll be helpful for you as well. I'm going to talk about myself first because it's my podcast and I get to do that. But then we'll talk about how this can help you. So one thing that that quarantine has really helped me focus in on is the fact that I simply try and do too much, right? So what happens is if you have too many options in life, things can get very muddy, right? Or it can raise your anxiety and your stress level because you never know, what should I be doing? What should I be working on? And there's research, and I'll probably paraphrase because I don't know the exact research. I can't cite the study. But, you know, if you walk into a grocery store and there's two types of jam, right? There's strawberry and there's grape. You pick one, right? Like it's pretty easy because it's like an A or B setup. But if you go into that same grocery store and there's like 30 types of jam, right? There's apple and apricot and grape and strawberry and blueberry and mango. Like I don't even know what all there would be. But if there's 30 different jams, you end up picking none of them because it's like decision fatigue. You don't know what to pick. You don't have a way to narrow your options. So this is something that I've been thinking a lot about here lately because I have a tendency and it's a blessing and a curse. I don't like to say no to people. I like to be helpful. I like to you know say yes to every podcast request, to say yes anytime somebody wants to meet or do coffee or whatever. And so one thing that I've really tried to do is narrow my focus and like the three things that I drive the most energy from, the things I'm most passionate about, the things that drive the most revenue for me, when I break it down are number one, coaching, right? I talked for what, three, four minutes up top about how much fun I'm having coaching right now. So when I can, and when I have athletes in town, like that's going to be a priority for me because I love it. So number one would be coaching. Number two, my complete coach, sir. You know, this is something I've talked about for probably a year and a half, two years now. It's only been on the market for a year, but this was in my head for legitimately a year and a half or two years before I brought it to market. So that is my baby in the sense that I just feel so many young coaches don't have direction. They don't have a filter when they're getting started. So that is 
like my way of helping them better sort and understand all the information they got during the certification process, but then also giving them a ton of real world application, right? So if somebody can't back squat, well, what do you do, right? Or if they can't bench press with a barbell, what do you do? If somebody's shoulder blades are pinned back and together all the time, what do you do in their program to fix that? So that's what excites me about the complete coaches for entry-level coaches or for coaches that are trying to systematize what they do. I think it's a great resource and a great product. So, you know, it's kind of a two-fold battle between I'm trying to continuously add to it and make it better. And I'm also trying to learn more about the marketing side of it. And I'm, I'm bringing people on. Obviously, the website is totally brand new and spiffy. So if you haven't checked out the Complete Coach Cert website, do that. But also starting to get people on board to help me with the actual marketing of it as far as like ads, Facebook ads, Instagram ads, that sort of thing. Because, look, there's a lot of things I want to learn about, but the ins and outs of Facebook and Instagram advertising are not one of them. So looking to bring people on so I can continue to grow the reach there and just expose more people to the certification. So that's my number two. And then my third is iFastU because, you know, when Bill and I first started iFast, I think the thing that made it so unique was our interns were just, for lack of a better term, just balls to the wall every day. And we were just constantly throwing things at them, working with them. As the gym has grown, as there have become more demands on Bill and I's time, it's harder for us to do that. It's not that we don't do it. But we don't have that same, we just can't be on the floor interacting and coaching the whole time because the gym, when we open it might be like one or two clients on the floor. And some of them were people we'd known for years. Well, it's a lot easier to have like this in-depth conversation with an intern while you're coaching a session versus now, you know, he's got patients, I've got clients and athletes. It's a lot harder to do that. So you gives us an opportunity to develop and cultivate those relationships, those interactions, and it, we're not limited by geography. If I had a nickel for every time somebody told me, man, I wish I could visit iFast or I could intern with you guys or I could come hang out for a week. But for a lot of reasons, it's hard for people to do that. So hopefully this gives them that opportunity to get a better understanding of what we do at iFast, what makes us unique, taking the model that Bill's working on, taking some of the practical and applied stuff that I'm doing with my athletes, with my clients, and take it and then start using it with your clients and athletes. So I think if I had to put blinders on myself, those are the three things that I'm focused the most on right now and that I think are going to really move the needle for me professionally. So that's enough about me. Here's what I want you to take away from that. I think a good thought exercise is to find ways to simplify and streamline what it is you're doing. And I think this is a constant ebb and flow because when you open a business, if you have one offering, it just makes sense. Oh, if I have two offerings or three offerings, I can cater to more people. And there is a point where that's true. And then eventually you get to 10 options and you're like, no, I need to like cut this down. So instead, try and find ways of simplifying or reducing options. Find less to work on, but do it at a higher level. Spend more quality time on those areas. You know, it's very simple. When I do this, my life is very simple. Like when I did in-home, now granted, I didn't have kids and my schedule was a lot different then. But when I did in-home, I was either training people or if I had a two or three hour break in between, I was creating content. 
I was writing an article for T Nation. I was creating a product with either for myself or with Eric or with Bill. Like we were constantly creating things. And so I need to get back to a little bit of that, right? Instead of trying to do all of the things all the time, there's a handful of things that are going to really move the needle for me going forward. I know what they are. I've identified them. And now I've just got to take action. So I think the same thing goes for you. If you start to get anxious, if you start to get overwhelmed, find ways to simplify, reduce your options and focus on the things that will move the needle the most for you. And it's applicable to almost every area of your life. It could be your finances. It could be your career. It could be your relationships. Simplify, reduce options and streamline what you're doing. I guarantee you'll probably be more successful. All right, so a little bit longer than usual. Hope you don't mind. A lot on my mind these days, but without any further ado, actually, quick break, (laughs) quick break, and then we're going to jump into this awesome show with my boy, Nick Grant. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions, regressions, and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the CERT is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. If you're interested in learning more, my next CERT will launch in March of 2020, and if you join my free insiders list, you'll be able to save $200 when it opens. To get on the insiders list, just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Nick Grantham has become recognized as a specialist in athletic preparation and has helped athletes at all levels achieve their personal goals and ambitions. Nick has worked in high-performance sport for 20 years and has extensive experience with long-term athletic development. As lead strength and conditioning coach to national governing bodies, home institutes, and professional teams, Nick has been responsible for the management, development, and delivery of integrated physical preparation strategies for a wide range of sports. In this show, Nick and I talk about why it's so important to be brilliant at the basics, the role of recovery and regeneration for both athletes and gen pop clients alike, why soft skills and communication are so critical, and why it's so important to start building your network early on in your career. Nick is an amazing coach, and I know you're going to absolutely love this show. But enough for me. Let's do this. 
Nick, man, thank you so much for coming on the show here today. I'm shocked and ashamed. It took me like four and a half, five years to get you on, but could you start by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, cheers, Mike. Thanks for having us on the show. We got there in the end. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so my name is Nick Grantham. I'm a strength and conditioning coach. I've been coaching now, which kind of makes me feel really old for like 23 years Yes, across do it by numbers 36 different sports and that ranges from sort of taking athletes to four different olympics and i'm now working in professional football soccer in the in the uk and europe and also got a a golfer that i've worked with for a long time who's just broken onto the european tour so that's kind of it in a whistle stop Uh, that's that's awesome man yeah i had this realization the other day when i was working with a couple of my athletes and i realized i've been coaching longer than they've been alive yeah, that's why. <laughs> that that's when I start to worry about my age. Yeah. So tell us, like, how did you get started in physical preparation? You've been doing this for a while now. Like, what got you started? I, th- I think we was quite a sporty family. So sport kind of ran all the way through our family, from athletics to football, and then I sort of found my way into taekwondo and. All the other sports I'd been kind of bang average at, but I, I seemed to be quite good at taekwondo. Mm. And I started competing and going to sort of national training. And it was at that point, I'd, I'd already left school. I was working in banking and insurance, which was terrible for me because <laughs> I'm terrible at maths. But at, at um, one of the training sessions, people will probably be familiar with Alan Cosgrove. Yeah, Alan was on the team and, and he was studying sports science. And I was talking to him and I thought people only went to university to do like mathematics and engineering and stuff like that my family had never gone to university and there's alan saying no man i'm i'm at university and i'm studying sport and i was like this is quite cool right and and through taekwondo because i'd started to actually read for the first time about how to make weight and nutrition and, and training out of my own interest all of a sudden this world opened up to me that i could potentially go to university so i went back to night school studied got the qualifications to go to university and and then sort of away away we went really so had had i not been at the taekwondo and had Alan not been on on the squad I probably wouldn't have found my way into sports and performance sport that's crazy man that's crazy so talk to me about you have this discussion with Alan you decide this is something I want to do now I don't need every stop along the way but give us an idea like what does your career path look like over 23 years of starting with that budding interest of I could maybe do this as a career to where you're at now so I think I was quite lucky that I left school early and worked for six years in, in two careers that I was rubbish at. <laughs> and it was it was a real sort of your typical nine to five in a little cubicle, just terrible. And I was kind of living for the weekends, hated Mondays. So when the opportunity came to sort of move away from my hometown and, and sort of fly the nest, I, I grabbed it with both both hands. And I think that kind of separated me out because I'll be the first to admit I'm not the sharpest tool in the box compared to other people at university and other coaches. Sure. But I, I knew for sure I didn't want to go back to banking and insurance. I didn't yeah. want to go back there. <laughs> so I still had a good time at university, but I made sure I, I squeezed every drop out of, out of the university and out of my studies. So that was kind of the, the starting point, not wanting to go back. I then was, was very lucky, really, to get my first job at Lily Shaw Sports Injury and Human Performance Center, uh, working with British Gymnastics, which... Mm. On reflection now, that would be kind of like one of my end goal jobs. And I sort of walked yeah. straight in and, you know, 
I should probably never have had that job, but it was a different <laughs> era then. You know, it was it was twenty odd years ago, so I was very fortunate to to work with them. I was there as a, really a sports scientist because strength and conditioning hadn't really come across to the UK. But again, through links with Alan, he was talking about what was going on in the US, and and you kind of figured that it was going to start coming across to the UK. So I I sat the first NSCA qualification in in the UK that was mm-hmm. available, and then again by chance. A job came up working with the England netball team as a strength and conditioning coach. So at the time, I I did what my my then boss said was career suicide because strength and conditioning didn't even really exist. He's like, why do you want to leave? Why do you not want to be a sports scientist? And you're going to go and do this career that doesn't even exist. But I, <laughs> I, I, follow, I followed my gut and went for it. Worked with netball squad for a number of years before then moving across to head up a strength team at the English Institute of Sport in one of the regions. And that was... That, again, was an amazing opportunity to go from working with one sport to working with up to sort of 20, 25 different sports, yeah. all striving to go to the Olympics. So one minute you're working with a wheelchair basketball player, then you've got a triple jumper, then you've got a female soccer player. So that really awesome. was an amazing opportunity. And and surrounded by the best coaches, the best physios, doctors, it was, it was really good. And then 2007, I, I decided to leave that and go out on my own as a consultant, which again was probably at the time, not many people were really working as consultants in the UK. But it again, it took that leap of faith and spent uh, probably a, a good part of 10, 12 years as a consultant across professional sports, individual athletes, until more recently, where I felt rather than traveling around the country, lay down some routes in my where I live now in Newcastle and the opportunity came up to go and work with Newcastle United as their first team strength coach. So yeah. I jumped to that chance in September and I've been there for about 10 months now working with the first team. I love it, man. I love it. So I want to jump in. And I think part of this is based on our age and kind of the era that we grew up in and the way sports and strength and conditioning were 20 some years ago. But talk to me about why it's so important to be brilliant at the basics. So I think, Mike, I think... I love the people will be familiar with the marshmallow test. I'm sure, I'm sure they will, where you sit a little toddler down and they, they've got to resist the temptation. And I think because we're so used to now getting everything on demand, if we want, if we want a song, we can just download it. If we want to watch something, we get it up on YouTube. It, it's instant. And, and probably when you and I were studying, if I wanted to read a journal paper, I had to go to the library. I had to send away <laughs> for it. It had to yeah. come to me. And then the journal had arrived and someone had torn it out so you couldn't read it anyway. Yes, yes. But now you can just Google it and you get a PDF. Yeah. So I think what's happened is this kind of instant gratification has, has crept in. And it's very difficult for younger coaches, probably some older coaches as well, to, to maintain a focus and see something through to the end without turning into the dog on, on the film up and being distracted by a squirrel. Yes. And it's like something new and shiny comes on and I'm going to do that strategy now and I'm going to use this innovation. Uh, so I think, you know, being brilliant at, at the basics is, is fundamental. You know, going back to some early work that I saw of Mike Boyle talking about the big rocks is really resonates with me. And there's a great book I'm reading at the moment called Think Small and it's by Owen Service and, and Rory Gallagher. And it's about, you know, actually sweat the small stuff. Do Do the things that are important and the way that you do those things will dictate how you do everything, yes. I guess. And what I've seen over the years is if you have a consistent approach, if you have those big rocks and you, and you worry about doing those really well, that will form the foundation. And the vast majority of athletes I've worked with, and I've been lucky to work with some really good ones, they've needed to be good at the basics. You know, yeah. we often think that elite athletes need to have 
minute changes in their programs and constantly be evolving. And some may, I've, I've probably not worked with probably two or three like that, but the majority, because of the nature of their sports and the demands of, of playing schedules, just need to do some consistent things really well, whether that's on the court, or on the pitch, but also in the gym. So I like to try and have a, almost like a curriculum and a, and a yes. consistent theme throughout the season because otherwise you, you just constantly change it and you'll never get those adaptations that, that you're chasing. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, I, like you said, I think one of the biggest issues we're up against nowadays is in our in, in the palm of our hand, right? We're constantly subjected to novelty. And whether it's social media, whether it's whatever we have access to, people are constantly like, oh, what's a new exercise that I can try? Or what's a new way I can do this? And while there's absolutely a time and a place for that, a lot of times it's like, hey, you know, like you're training a high level athlete. Well, they still need to learn how to squat effectively. They still yeah. need to learn how to hinge effectively. Like how many, how many great athletes have you had that can't do a good push up? Yeah. yeah. You know, really. so we're looking at, we're looking at the hundred best push up variations when I need like two, you yeah. know, incline and standard, like let's learn those first <laughs> and then we can get to the cool stuff. So we, we talk about like, you got to eat your vegetables first and then you can have your pudding. Mm-hmm. So what, I've become a little bit more relaxed with, with athletes over recent years and saying, look, and recognizing that there'll be some stuff that they like to do and they want to do and it might be new and a bit of a fad. Sure. And you can you can have an element of that in your program Yes. if it engages you, but you need to eat your vegetables first. So let's have a little bit of bargaining. We'll do some of my stuff and then you can you can have some of yours. And I think that's really important. Yeah. We call it icing on the cake. Yeah. You know, that last five, 10 minutes, you want to go get some arms in or something like that. We can absolutely do that. So when it comes to our industry, I feel like we love to talk about training, right? We love talking about program design and sets and reps and all that good stuff. But it's rare that people want to talk about about recovery and regeneration. So is that something that you see as well? And if so, how do you start to have this conversation either with other coaches or with the athletes you're working with? So yeah, everyone likes the X's and O's of training, but we kind of forget that you get the adaptations by recovering from the training that, you, that you're doing. So certainly in the UK, there was a massive sort of revolution on, on recovery around about 2004, 2005. There were some really sort of high profile examples of England rugby and Paula Radcliffe jumping in ice baths. And that kind of captured everyone's imagination and everyone ran away with it. And they, they were doing everything. Right. And it was, it was a mess. And so myself and a colleague, Mark Jarvis, we came up with a recovery pyramid to try mm-hmm. and make some sense of what do you put at the foundation and then how do you build that and, and what do you weave in and out to hold it all together. Um, and then I kind of refined that down to a recovery cycle of just three key elements fundamentally, going back to a previous question about basics. Yeah. Let's get on top of our sleep. Let's do some simple nutrition effectively and let's look at body management, those sort of active and passive strategies that we can add in in and around our training. So I think it's more of a conversation point. There was probably an over a massive overreaction, as there usually is, and to the point of teams and athletes almost shutting their players down because we don't want any fatigue. I think we're, we're probably the pendulum's probably swinging back now to a more reasoned approach and saying, look, we, we still need to strive for adaptations and, and push our athletes to fatigue, and let the, but we need to allow them to recover. Yes. And I think we're now seeing a more balanced approach to it. But I think it's, it's super important and particularly not just for elite athletes, but your general population, your weekend warriors, your, your military personnel, your people on the front line of healthcare, lots of shifts, working hard and then going 
to do something in the gym or out on the bike, you actually need to take time out and, and recover. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, I mean, when we talk about basics, sleep and nutrition, they aren't the sexiest or the most exotic things we can talk about, but they're like yeah. the cornerstone of fueling your body, of recovering from workouts. And too often, people would rather talk about what supplement is going to get me a 0.5% difference yeah. in my performance versus looking at these things that can make a massive impact on how you how you feel on a day-to-day basis. I found you know, the hardest conversations I've had with athletes is when sometimes they've, they've come into the facility and you can tell by the body language or, or what they're saying to you and even by the first couple of sets that you're performing that they're fried, they're absolutely yeah. toast. And the hardest thing to say is go home. <laughs> and they're like, well, no, no, I need to train. And you're like, no, the best thing you can do now is go home, relax, go for a, a walk with your partner or just take, take some time out because we can grind this session out, but actually we're not going to get adaptation i think duncan french talked about for every training stimulus there's a, a cost but there's not always a benefit oh yeah i like that and, I, and, I, and I, yeah i think that's just he's, that's he's a brilliant. clever guy he Duncan's is a clever guy. yeah he is. he's annoying but i think that, that that's it you know people think they've always got to train to get this benefit but it's not always there sometimes it's going to be more of a cost to what you're doing so take the time to recover mm. absolutely i love that i'd love that so let's talk a little bit more about coaching because I feel like nowadays we're so caught up on like the technical and the X's and O's and the stuff that can be relayed over an article or over a social media post that sometimes we just don't talk enough about coaching. So what are your thoughts here? Is coaching a lost art? Is it something we're losing the more technology we have access to? It was kind of on the ver- I think it's been on the verge of extinction. Uh, <laughs> But I think it's making a, I think it's making a comeback. So I'm again, people love talking about physiological adaptations and exercise protocols and, and like you say, the X's and O's. And in the UK, they they started talking about soft skills, which was a really kind of fluffy term. Yes. But basically, it's those, it's those non-technical coaching skills. And I think it's it's not in the early days it wasn't taught properly at university. So everyone's coming out with great technical knowledge mm-hmm. but actually put me in front of a squad and an athlete to communicate and get that message across and and they, they really struggled so i think i spoke at the uk snc conference in 2011 and it was a real struggle to get the talk that i wanted to do through the committee because it wasn't about an adaptation or, or a right. training paradigm it was about seven characteristics of of great coaches and you know, I think what we're seeing now is a bit of a resurgence. So people like Ron McKeefery with his weight room wisdom, Brett Bartholomew with, with conscious coaching and Martin Rooney's oh, yeah. uh, coach to coach, which I've just read. Yeah. And, and Nick Winkleman's, I'm looking at, I'm trying to get my hands on Nick Winkleman's language of, of coaching. You know, with, with these books that have kind of come to the fore over the last three or four years, they're selling. So there's definitely a, a desire and a passion for people to say, well, I know how to program. But actually, it's it's the connection between me and the athlete or the coach that's really important. And I, and I know that nine times out of ten, when you when you're talking to other coaches about the problems they have with teams or athletes, it's nearly always a communication issue. Yeah, it's rarely a program issue. It's nearly always they don't understand my language. They you know they just don't get it. It's it's a communication issue. Yeah, it's such a great point and something that. Like we stress to our interns, it's something that I think made me successful early in my career. Like if you think back to when you started, like you weren't a good coach. 
right? Like none of us, none of us were good coaches. We didn't know the X's and O's. We didn't have the technical foundation, but like you have success in the fact that you create relationships with these athletes and you forge these bonds. And then, you know, over time, as you learn more stuff, then you start to develop your coaching chops. But like, that's your greatest asset. If you're young is just being relatable, being enthusiastic, being able to forge and create connections with other human beings like that's the best thing you have going for you early on. Yeah, because trust me, once you get to forty-eight, like like me, <laughs> it gets hard trying to relate to a sixteen-year-old yes. about music. But again, you, you you have to then kind of find avenues into okay, what are their interests, what music do they like, but still be authentic to yourself as a forty-eight-year-old. I mean, right. I'm not going to go and tell everyone I listen to Drake. But, <laughs> uh, you've got to have an idea of who that might be and what what sort of that, what they're doing. Yeah, that that's huge. And I'm in the same boat. I'm forty-one, and I got. 18, 19 year olds and they're listening to music. I'm like, I've never heard this in my entire life. So, so, so let's take that idea and build from it a little bit because I'm a big believer that it's helpful earlier in your career to work with a ton of different athletes. And I know you did. I mean, you said European Institute of Sport, you got 20 to 25 or English, sorry, Institute of Sport, you got 20 to 25 different teams that you're working with. So how do you go about influencing and engaging athletes that come from all these different backgrounds and that play all these different sports? So I, I guess it's immersing yourself in that in that environment, in the sport. I think building trust is, is super important with, with an athlete. And every sport has a language, a dress code, mm. a tradition, and it's it's really learning what, what those are. So the gymnastics, you, you shook every coach's hand every time you saw them. Even if I left the room and came back in and I just shook his hand, mm. you, you did that because it was a tradition. Yes. At, the, at the football club, at the moment, in the current situation, we're not doing it, but we always every player comes in and shakes every staff member's hand. We can't do it at the moment because we're social distancing. But, right. you know, so I think it's looking at how do they dress, how do they speak. I know... When I, I did a, I ran a project for for Nike going into soccer clubs, and the kit they sent us were kind of like baggy basketball shorts, and we were like, we can't wear this kit into the football club because straight away we won't be authentic. Right. So we need to wear kit that makes us blend in. So you, yes. I, I think you know, a good coach if they can work across different sports is like a chameleon. They kind of they're still they're still the same chameleon but they've got this camouflage that can switch really quickly yes and and blend into the surroundings so i i think that's really important and it's challenging though you know challenging switching up your coaching style the language you use what's acceptable in one setting may not be in in another but it's really a good thing for young coaches to do i always say work with old athletes young athletes male female able-bodied disabled yeah. You know, go go and work with those. I remember, you know, working with a, a first time with a blind athlete. All of a sudden, oh my gosh, yeah. Okay, how, how, so I, how how am I going to coach this? Because I can't say, watch, look at this. It's now you, that changes the game completely. Yeah, that's great. It's like your GPP phase as a coach, right? Yeah, yeah. Before yeah. you get into SPP and specialize, you work with a whole bunch of different people. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned this because I literally just got off a call with Yuri Pagel and. So Yuri works in both soccer and basketball. And when you start to break a lot of these sports down, like when you go in the gym, a lot of the necessities are the same, right? We want them to squat, push up, lunge, hinge, all those things. But what's different is, like you alluded to, it's the communication. 
Yeah. It's the context. It's the vocabulary that's different because you don't talk to a basketball player the same way you do a soccer player, the same way yeah. you do a mixed martial artist, right? Like if you can start to understand their world and their vocabulary, and like you said, you've got to be a chameleon. You got to work to yeah. kind of fit in and blend into their culture. And if you can do that, I feel like that's when you can have real success. So like one of my more recent sports I've worked with is downhill mountain biking. So it's an action sport. And I, one of our athletes was getting some treatment in a, in a gym. It's an action sport gym. And it was perfectly acceptable for me. In fact, I was told I had to get on the BMX with no <laughs> brakes, do some hot laps around a squat rack while she's getting therapy. And in that setting... I did it and it was perfectly acceptable. Yeah. But if I saw someone on a BMX in the gym at the football club, I would go nuts <laughs> because in that environment, in that context, it, it's not acceptable. Yeah. Totally inappropriate. It's crazy. Yeah. So you've been in the game for a while now and yeah. I'm really interested in what you have to say here. How does a young or aspiring strength and conditioning coach get started in the industry? Well, I should read your hired which I wrote. So that's, that's a, that's a good start. So that's yeah. kind of like my, my story plus a bunch of lessons and insights about how to build networks, how to communicate effectively, how to get your foot in the door. I make no money from that book. That book is, is hundred percent a charity nice. book. Yeah. So I, I had a, a young intern that sadly passed away from a brain tumor. So oh. we decided to split the money for the, the, the cancer charity that looked after him, but also for the UK SCA, they set up a, a foundation and an award in his name, which means a, an aspiring S&C coach gets a bursary to travel and, and learn. So like by the books, it's great content, yeah. but also it, it's, it's a great cause. So I think, I think that that's one of the key things I would suggest making connections and, and a good network and kind of making yourself available to other coaches, not just, not just for what you can get from them, but try and offer something to the coach yep. of how you can help, how you can assist them. I think, I read Never Eat Alone. I think Eric Cressy might have recommended that yeah. one to me. But it's a fantastic book. Never Eat Alone is, is an amazing book. And, you know, just looking for opportunities at conferences to make yourself available to the organizers to help out on the front desk. And then all of a sudden, you're going to meet every delegate that comes yeah. through. Or That's great having, advice. Yeah, having, great the courage, advice. having the courage just to walk up to someone at breakfast and say, would you mind if I just sit here and have breakfast with you? Nine times out of ten, they're going to say, yeah. Right. You know, don't start talking straight away about programs. Try and find a, some common, right. something that's a bit more interesting. But I think making those connections, sweating the small stuff, so doing things really well all of the time. And then I think one of the things younger coaches struggle with is, again, going back to the earlier question, was this instant gratification. It's kind of, I'll graduate and I'll go and work with a major league team straight yep. away. And really it is a bit of a grind and I don't mean this by you know we've got you know how many hours we do in the trenches but I think it's I'm just reading the daily stoic and there's a quote that I read a couple of days ago about it depends on what type of boxer you are you know so if you get punched on the nose do you give up or do you batten down and, and go again and I think that's what I would say to a lot of aspiring strength and conditioning coaches or anyone working in a, in a sports profession is it's a hard highly competitive environment and you're going to get knockbacks after knockback after knockback but you've got to kind of dust yourself off and, and, and be persistent and keep going so yeah i think it's establish a good network and just show up and like, another thing i like is even if you're in the crummiest gym working with people that you might not be aspiring to work with make the most of that situation and, and that is at that point in time that's the best job 
and, yes. and do the best job that you can in that environment. I worked in a council recreational gym with members of the general public during my summer holidays, you know, just treat them like they're elite athletes and, and give the same amount of due diligence as you would an NBA superstar. Absolutely. I love that. And, you know, I know you've been around this this game quite some time now. Like, I'm I'm still shocked at the fact that, like, you know, if you're looking to get a job in the NBA or in the EPL, like, most of those jobs, if they're posted on the internet, it's only because they have to, yeah. right? Like that yeah. job is already probably hired or they've already got a short list before the, you have ever seen that, you know? Yeah. And it comes down to, hey, who does the head guy know? Who's he going to reach out to? Who does he trust? So that's where the networking comes in, man. It's not just like, hey, I'm on the whatever NSCA website checking every day. Yeah. And so many of those jobs are fulfilled and locked down before you ever see them. And it I think comes it's down kind to, of, do you have your network? I think it's kind of that 80-20 rule. 8% of the jobs are already gone. You know, there's yes. only, there's only you, can, you can still apply for it, but they're pretty much done and dusted. And, and I know like when you, when you forge a network, you, you've got to do it in a, a real way that you're not doing it kind of Machiavellian, trying to, yes. oh, well, I, I want to work for them in the future. I met, I met someone at my first NSEA conference in, in Orlando. We shared a bus and we, he was – to the, go to the conference and he was a Brit working in professional football and I had no aspirations of working in professional football. I, I loved Olympic sports but we kept in contact over a period of 12, 15 years and then a position became available and he put me forward for that and I was like, okay. But yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't started talking to him because I wanted to work in, in the EPL. It's right. just that's you form a connection, you form a, a friendship and something might come of it, something might not. But yeah, networks are, are super important. And you make another great point there. It's all about like being authentic and and thinking, I think if, if you're a young coach and you're listening, don't think about what that person can do for you. It should be flipped. Like, what can you do for them? How how can you serve them? And I don't mean that in like a, I don't know, like like an intern type of way, but like, hey, you know, like if, if you expect something to happen good to happen to you, there has to be reciprocity there. So you have to be willing to give of yourself. And maybe it's, hey, you need like an internship. Well, you come in and you clean the gyms or whatever, because again, your value at that point is low. Your yeah. job is to be around good people that can help shape and mold and mentor you over the years. So, man, I think that's you, great advice. You can, you can really tell the difference between the aspiring coaches that get it and those that don't. And even simple yes. things like sometimes a, a young coach will say, hey, I've just seen this article and they'll send me the link to it and it's cost it's cost them nothing it's got but they've piqued my interest and i've gone okay that's that's cool and then i'll send them something so it doesn't always need to be an exchange of money yes. or, or anything like that you know it's just the offer of time and assistance is super that's important. huge that, that's huge that's probably more important in my book so I, i've got one other question that we were kind of talking about this before the show started, but obviously we've all been impacted in some way by the the whole Corona COVID issue. And I know you've actually done like some consulting for this. So I'm really interested in like, look, we're all kind of in new territory here, but I would love to hear like what that looks like for you. Like who's coming to you? What's your role and how are you helping them kind of navigate this on the back end? And hopefully Kind of like you said before, like how, what does this like look like return to play wise for a business or something of that nature? Yeah. So, I mean, it came came out of the blue, really. An organization, not not a sporting organization, a business contacted me. They they knew that I'd worked in action sports and they they liked had a real thing for one of the athletes that I've worked with. And that athlete has had some career 
life-threatening, almost career-ending injuries and had gone from the height of heights, haven't had the perfect season, world champion, World Cup winner, kind of un- untouchable really, to having some catastrophic injuries in the season. So they, mm. they approached me saying, look, how did you deal with that process? How do you deal with the unpredictability of sport and not knowing what the end game is necessarily going to look like? And they were relating it to some of the issues that their staff were facing with, okay, so we're going into lockdown, but we don't know how lockdown is going to shape up. We don't know when we're going to come back. We don't know how the business is going to evolve. Is it still going to be the same business? There was loads of questions that kind of had links to how we as coaches deal with sports during a normal season, but also during times of injury and and rehabilitation. And and I want to make pains to say I'm not comparing an injured athlete to to like a global pandemic and a disaster. Sure. You know, clearly, that's way more serious than a, a, a broken collarbone. But right. the principles that that we apply as coaches, one of the things being always having Plan Bs and write write your plans in pencil. Yes. You know, is important because one of the problems that the staff were facing was they wanted definitives. How long is it going to take? And I'm like, the best you can have is a plan, but be happy that that plan is going to change at some point. And it's not going to be a linear progression. You know, we may we may start to see a improvement. And then just as you think you've nailed it, we're going to get a setback. And yeah. it's how, how to cope with that. So it, it's been a really interesting process to deliver a couple of those sessions for, for other organizations and link between sport and, and business. Well, I think you have to, right? Because, I mean, if we're being realistic, we're all in uncharted territory. We're all making educated guesses. But I think that's really smart on their part is to look at this and say, okay, well, we don't have a a set game plan for this, but let's try and find like a scenario where there's a parallel to this, right? And let's try and see what he did. And then how can we take that and then apply it back to what it is that we're focused on? So that's really cool, man. You'll have to keep me posted on how that works out because that's fascinating. Yeah, no, that's great. I'll, I'll happy to share the slide deck with you. You can have a look. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Okay. Big question time, my guy. If okay. you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Nick Grantham one piece of advice about training and or life, what would it be? Be yourself. So I think for a long time when I was starting out, I felt I had to be probably something that I probably wasn't comfortable with. The, the sciencey guy, I had to have the really complex diagrams of my presentations and, and speak with real terminology that's complex and complicated and it's kind of not me. And in the last sort of six or seven years, I've just got really comfortable with my own presentation style, my sort of storytelling and odd anecdotes. And as an example, I've worked with Duncan French quite a lot. And, and Duncan and I are kind of like yin and yang. We've done some double act work together before. And Dunk's science brain is ridiculous. You yes. know, and he's super, super clever guy, super smart, good, good coach and, and presenter as well. And I kind of come in as the sort of, the entertainment, but I'm really happy with that. Like my presentation style isn't for everybody. I, I think some people work conferences might not like it, but it's how how I do things. So for me, just be yourself. Find your style. If I tried to be a Duncan French or a Mike Boyle or a, a Martin Rooney, I'd struggle. So just yeah. being a Nick, Nick Grant from is, is the way forward. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I love it. And I've talked about this numerous times on this show, but it takes a little while, but you have to find your own like coaching personality and just be authentic, yeah. Yeah. be authentic. 
Did you know Duncan and I went to school together for like a year? I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do know, man. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. you're going to have to reconnect us because we have not talked in way too long. But yeah. Oh, you need to, you need to talk to him. He's, the, he's out in Vegas at the UFC. Yes. So you need to get there. I need to get him on, man. I need to get him on. So, okay, my guy. Last but not least, let's do lightning round. Okay. So okay. four fairly short questions. Your yeah. answer can be as long or short as you like. So okay. number one, I'm sure this is not going to be easy, but what is your <laughs> career highlight so far as a coach? Oh gee, I mean, there's, there's been there's been lots, but I think maybe one that kind of I wasn't expecting was it's not way sport. I was very fortunate to get invited to go to a garden party at Buckingham Palace after the London 2012 Olympics. Oh wow! So I'm not a royalist, right? Yeah. I'm not a massive royalist, but <laughs> when that letter came through from Buckingham Palace. That's cool. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'm on that one. Uh, <laughs> and it was, it was, it was a, an incredible day to go down to London with my wife, with the athletes that we'd worked with at the Olympics, go into Buckingham Palace, go out into the back garden, oh my and gosh. have afternoon tea. And like I say, I'm not like being a royal family is cool, but it's not something that I'm amazed by. But right. that's kind of a, a pretty unique absolutely situation for me so that, that's kind of a special one for me absolutely that's awesome okay number two so you've been at this game a little while now what yeah. kind of continuing ed are you into these days i mean is it industry related it could be books seminars online courses anything like what are you into right now it's, i mean it's definitely changed over my career yeah and i think that's probably something that's worth your listeners thinking of Often on, on these shows, people ask for book recommendations and that sort of thing. And an aspiring coach all of a sudden starts reading books on marketing and sales. And it's like, no, actually, you probably need to read a book on physiology and anatomy. <laughs> right. So for, for me, it's moved away from going to conferences. I, I still like a conference. But for me, it's, I'm getting better at books. I've got the reading speed of a snail, but I'm learning <laughs> to gut, gut books I'm learning to sort of speed read and, and get through them a bit more. And, and audio books are a godsend for me. Yeah. And I really value visiting coaches at their facilities and just yes. spending time. And I, and I think maybe that's because I'm a little bit longer in the tooth now. And whilst I like to listen to a keynote presentation, I'd rather sit down and have a, yes. have a coffee with you and go, okay, that's what you told us at the conference, but what really happens when yes. X and Y happens? So I think – if I go to conferences, it's usually for the, the talks in the bar or over over breakfast. Yeah. That are important. So I, I like those personal connections. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think I think anybody that has done the network and like conference game for a while will tell you the same thing. Like yeah. you can go listen to all the talks, but the hallway conversations and the co- the conversation you have at the bar at eleven or twelve at night is far yeah. more important and valuable than anything you're going to get out of like a pre can talk. Yeah. I read, I think it's Creativity Inc., which is a, a oh, yeah. great book. That's, that's a fantastic book. And they talk about how at Pixar, they send their people on, on field trips. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I like that concept because, again, with the mountain bikers, I, I, I went to watch one of their training sessions. They're like, what, what are you coming for, Nick? What are you going to learn? I'm going to be stood on the side of a mountain in Wales with snow coming in <laughs> and getting muddy and dirty. And I was like, well, I don't know at the moment, but I've got my notebook and I'm just going to follow you around and I'm going to, something will happen. Uh, there'll be some insights that I get. And there always is. Yeah. So I think, again, for coaches coming through, find opportunities just to go and shadow another coach going out onto the water in a row, w- with a rowing team and seeing what life's actually like getting up that early and going onto the river. Or even if you can't align yourself with a coach, go and watch live sport. Yeah. Go and watch your athletes compete. Because 
the athlete you see in the weight room will be very different to the one you see taken to the field. So at my point in the career, it, it's kind of getting better at reading books and going out and visiting coaches in their settings. Yeah, I love it. Okay, number three, you've worked with a ton of different teams. You've worked in tons of different environments. Is there anyone that stands out to you over your career that's been very just unique or interesting? So I think gymnastics holds a special place in my heart because it's my first sport. And yep. gymnasts are just ridiculous yeah. at what, what they can do, physically what they can do. And then more recently, it's, it's got to be the downhill mountain bikers. To go from what people would call traditional sports, Olympic sports and, and team sports, to then work with action sports who – you know we're all looking at the same map of the world but they're looking at it from a slightly different vantage point to to everyone else so right. their approach really challenged me as a coach to loosen up have a little bit more fun enjoy myself a bit more change the way that i disseminated information get a little bit more comfortable with being a, what would appear to be a chaotic program yeah and, and you know i spent a relatively short time three seasons with them but that kind of transformed my coaching, I think, massively. I love it. it. All right, man. Number four, last but not least, what's next for Nick Grantham? I don't know, really. I've never never really known what's next. Stuff just seems to happen. But I'm I'm currently, my website's about six years old now, so I've just tasked someone to to revamp the website and get it back up to to date. So I'll I'll be getting that organized, and that's probably because I've got – Again, I, I've been delivering courses for physios and health professionals on program design and strength and conditioning because in the UK, it's not really taught as part of their, their degree. Right. And I've been doing that as a live event. So I've just gone to, re, I've just recorded a, a modular online course, oh, cool. which will be launching sort of June time. So that, that'll be probably the, the next thing that people will see out there on social media getting promoted. I love it, man. I love it. Well, Nick, it's been far too long. Great to catch up with you today. Where can my listeners find out more about you and all the great stuff you're working on? So the website's a bit clunky at the moment, but you know it'll be it'll be nice and new in in about a month's time. <laughs> so nickgrantham.com is the website. Twitter is at coach nick g, and I've just changed my name on Instagram to nickgrantham underscore coach. Perfect. So you can find me on those platforms. Perfect. We'll make sure we get all that in the show notes. But again. Nick, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. All right, my friend, that does it for this week's show with Nick. Sincerely hope you enjoyed it. He's a guy that I interacted with a ton early on in my career and just things got busy. I think with both of us, we didn't really keep in touch as well over the years, but it was so great to reconnect on this show. He's a guy that I think the world of. He's got so much professional experience. And I hope you took at least one or two, if not a handful of things, away from this show. So if you did, I've got one of two things to ask of you. Number one, if you are not already a subscriber, what are you doing, my friend? It's so simple. Go to iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. Basically, if it has podcasts, you can find the physical prep podcast there. So click that subscribe button. Make sure you get updates so you know each and every week when I drop a new show because you know, we're over 220 episodes in now, and I feel like the content it just continues to get better and better. We've got amazing coaches and trainers on every week. So if you're not subscribed, make that happen. Number two, if you are subscribed, thank you. 
take two minutes out of your day, go to the iTunes store and give me a ranking or a review, preferably both. Those are such a powerful tool for getting the show bumped up, letting more people know about the show, because if you know anything about myself, about my goals and aspirations for this show, and really about kind of like my career goals, it's to be a, a beacon of positivity and light in our industry. I want trainers, coaches, rehabilitation specialists from across the globe to listen to this show and use it as a tool to help them get better each and every day, each and every week when they download a new episode. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Thanks for tuning in this week and we will be back soon with our next episode. Take care.